Good evening, folks. How are you? Good to see you midweek. In case you haven't heard, a uh, judge in Utica, New York, has blocked the medical worker vaccine. And, uh, <laughs> and knowing New York State, they're fighting tooth and nail. And I guess there'll be uh, a hearing on September 28th, but ju just pray. You know, uh, no matter what losses we may suffer, we've won. We've won the war. We may lose a few battles here and there, but praise God, we, we've won the war. God has won. But we should pray. We should pray because I think that uh, we live perhaps in the most exciting church period since the, since the coming, since the Lord came. Because we're close to the end. We are close to the end. And, uh, and I think we have an opportunity, the darker it gets in our world, uh, that we can shine, shine as lights, you know, representing, you know, our Lord, our, our Savior. Uh, today, this time is not a time for hiding, Okay. The church needs to come out of the closet. Uh, we are called to represent him. No matter how difficult uh, the day, the ages, um, again, uh, we have opportunity to represent him at this very critical, very important time. And you know what? There's so many souls that need to get saved. And God's still saving people. Amen? Okay? I think he is. I think he's still saving people. I think we can really, I think we, we can clarify that. And uh, we need to remember that, and God will use us. He wants to use each one of us in that. Uh, we are in uh, uh, Isaiah 65 tonight. And uh, hard to believe, I don't know how long. Does anybody have a date of when we started Isaiah? It's, 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 I think it's been roughly about a year. I think it's probably somewhere around a year uh, where we started Isaiah. And uh, maybe, even, uh, maybe even a little bit longer than a year. And so here we are. We're, we're here... Uh, uh, very close to the conclusion, uh, we're in chapter uh, 65, and uh, with that, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, you are great and you are good. Lord, an amazing thing we were singing a moment ago, that Lord, you, you pursue us, you, you run after us, and Lord, your goodness has so radically, wonderfully, Lord, altered our lives. It's changed our lives. Not only has it changed us, but Lord, it has altered our future. Lord, our future, our lives would have been so vastly different, Lord, without you. So we thank you, Lord, for your intervention. And Lord, we thank you that you are today, Lord, so often, Lord, uh, we, when you're intervening in our life, we see it as interference. But it's a godly, wonderful intervention to reveal yourself. And Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, you're always revealing yourself, Lord, through your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth, the word of God. We thank you for the spirit of truth. We, we live in a day of lies. We, we live, live in a day of great deception. But we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We, we thank you for discernment. We, we thank you for your word. It's a, it's a wonderful roadmap. 
And, and we pray that, you, Lord, you'd continue to speak to us and, and direct us and guide us as a church, individually, as, as families and, and, and people. Lord, we need you. We need you so desperately. And we, we call upon you, Lord, tonight. We thank you that you're our Lord, our Savior. Uh, you're our teacher. You're our healer. Lord, you're the master, Lord, of all things. And, and we give you that, that praise tonight. We give you that adoration, that worship for the great and wonderful Father that you are. Lord, thank you for your great love, the love of the cross uh, demonstrated toward us and for us. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Father, as Lord, you move among us tonight, that Lord, you'd just speak. And Lord, we, we come tonight and Perhaps our week and our day has been maybe different, each and every one of us. But Lord, you know how to speak to us. Lord, you know how, in that personal, intimate way, <laughs> Father, to speak, uh, Lord, into our hearts, into our lives, to bring comfort, to bring encouragement, uh, to bring, Lord, your grace, and to know that, Lord, as we look to you, that you're the one. Things may be otherwise very muddied, Lord, in our lives and in our thinking, but you're the God who can bring clarity, and we praise you for that. We, we thank you for that. So, Lord, we, uh, we open our hearts, we open our minds to you tonight. Lord, meet with us, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, just, a, just a little bit of uh, uh, review uh, for context, because uh, we were, were kind of in the middle of this particular chapter, and as you remember, he started out by basically saying, that he was sought for, for the, by those who didn't ask for him, he, he, and he was found by those who did not, did not seek me. Uh, and he said, to a, he said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that is not called by my name. And he's speaking here to the church. Um, and it's an interesting, you have all these little interludes, you know, in these Old Testament prophets, reminding God's people back then he had planned for another people. Uh, it wasn't just all about them. He had a plan for, you know, worldwide plan. He had a, a plan for the Gentiles. And we've seen that, haven't we, quite a bit in the prophecy of Isaiah, just, you know, all the different references to the Gentiles and to the fact that he would call these other people. And so uh, a, a sort of a final reminder here uh, before he leaves this particular, before we leave this prophecy in this particular book. And yet he says, I've stretched out my hands all day long to rebellious and a disobedient people. And, of course, he's speaking, you know, to Israel. And it's not that we don't have our disobediences. It's not that we don't have our rebellion. But, again, that's, you know, a, a picture of it. You know, the grace of God, like we were, talk we were singing here a moment ago, he, he runs after us. And yet when you look at us sometimes, you know, in, in our condition, you know, our, our situation, our circumstance, uh, you know, he, he loves us when we are at our worst. Um, you know, the, the grace of our awesome and wonderful God, no matter what, where we are, you know, when he's called us, you know, you know, you know by his name and he has given us his spirit, he, he doesn't give up on us. You know, we give up on people, don't we? You know, we, we can write people off, you know, God's finished with them, you know, they're perpetual backslider and, and all these kinds of things. But, you know, the, God's pursuing us. He's always, you know, in a sense, you know, there's that old... Uh, uh, poem that the hounds of heaven, you know how he chases us down. You know the 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 the, the you know the corridors of time, and uh, sometimes he has to chase somebody. It's, you know, it's, I remember years ago, we were down in Pennsylvania at a baptism, 
And I come to find out Pastor Chuck was baptizing this guy who was 92 years old. 92 years old. And he was as giddy as a schoolboy. He was just so happy. He's hopping around on the beach, you know, before he gets baptized. And the thing that just hit me was he was called before the foundations of the world. He was called to be one of the Lord's. And yet he lived for 92 years. Isn't it amazing how long we can, you know, how, how hard we can push back, you know, against the Lord, you know, in our lives. And yet, you know, God breaks through. God broke through at 92 years old. And uh, that's the grace of our awesome and wonderful God. Now, we want to pick this up uh, in, in verse 13. And he's giving us a context, or rather a contrast, rather, you know, between, you know, the real servants of God and those who are not the servants of God. Just like, you know, at any time in history, there's people that can take his name. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, you can, people make a, a profession all the time. But you know what? The lifestyle of a person is basically going to truly indicate, did they really know him? Do they really serve him? Are they really walking with him? You know, the life eventually will reveal, you know, what. it doesn't matter sometimes, you know, what somebody says, because I've been around people that they really can have a rap, you know, can really have a rap for, you know, because they know all the Christianese and they don't, you know, they, um, you know, they can talk to you about the Lord and all that. But when you look at their life, it just makes you wonder, uh, you know, if, you know, where are they? Sometimes I have to say that about, you know, an individual, you know, do they, after something happens, do they really know the Lord because of maybe great inconsistencies or, or, or things in their life that just simply, you know, simply a lifestyle that's not, you know, godly in any kind of way. But in verse 13, he says, he says, now behold or look, observe those who are my servants, they shall eat. But again, he's speaking here to Israel, disobedient Israel. And again, there was always that remnant. We've seen that in the prophets. There's always that faithful remnant. I think that's true of Christianity today. I think that's always been true of God's people. Uh, There's maybe, you know, the the larger professing group, but then there's that faithful remnant, you know, that are walking with God and and, uh, and that they know him and he knows us. But then he says here to this disobedient group, he says, but you shall be hungry. And you know, God has placed, isn't it interesting how he's placed a hunger and a thirst within the human heart, and it can only be satisfied by him. Don't we discover that? You know how we get tempted, you know, we get tempted by the world, and you know, you give in, you capitulate, you know, to different temptations and different things, because there is, there's this, you know, uh, somebody once said, uh, nature abhors a vacuum. There's this emptiness, you know, in human nature, and it has to be filled. And that's why the world, if you notice, the world's always trying to fill us. It's always trying to fill humanity. It always has some new thing, some new thing, some glitz, some glitter, some promise. And and the thing is, there are always counterfeits. They they may seem to fill us for a little while, but um, how quickly it kind of wears off. But there's a satisfaction, there's a fulfillment. That, that comes to us but by knowing him. That's why you know what? You've got to keep knowing him. <laughs> You've got to keep pursuing him. You've got to keep walking after him. Uh, it's not just coming to know the Lord and then just everything just sort of works by automatic pilot, you know, kind of a thing. But, it, but it's, it's a continual, like you're doing here tonight. What we're doing here is we're pursuing him, aren't we? We're wanting to know what God has to say. And there may be questions 
that, that's, you know, that you have you know, within your life right now. And it's interesting sometimes, too, you can have questions and they don't seem to get answered for a time, that all of a sudden you're reading the Bible or you're in a service and all of a sudden, pow, you know, God speaks, God brings clarity, God gives revelation, he gives insight. You know, perhaps that question, you know, that just sort of, you know, on the back burner there, didn't know if it was ever going to be answered, and all of a sudden God just wonderfully speaks, you know, into that kind of situation, and he does that. But there's a, there's, there is a hunger. Be careful, you know, that you don't fill that void up with, with something lesser, um, Again, the world's always, always trying to feed us, always trying to, to offer something. You know, Satan has cr- created and crafted so many, you know, different counterfeits, you know, to fill people's lives up, to just sort of keep their minds. You notice how the world just always wants to keep the mind occupied? Remember the days, do you remember the days around midnight when the TV used to go off? Remember that? And they'd play the national anthem. Can you remember those days? And, and, you know, maybe you're sitting there at midnight, and it's like, oh, no, it's going off, you know, kind of a thing, because you still were hungry. You're, isn't it amazing sometimes? Did you ever, you ever have a binge thing about movies? Did you ever have that, that kind of a binge thing where you just kind of, you know, you, you, whether they're John Wayne movies or, you know, something like that, and you maybe just sit through, you know, just a whole evening of movies, and you just go to bed, and you're just miserable. You're just miserable. The Duke didn't do anything for you, you know, kind of a thing. And that's the way it is with this world. It's always going to leave us somewhat hungry, somewhat empty, somewhat thirsty. But there's a satisfaction. You know, what, what did, um, and it was uh, David in Psalm 34 he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't he good? Isn't he good as we, and that's why, you know what, it's just like sometimes too, we don't really sit down for a good meal with the Lord. You know, sometimes we sit down and we just take a little snack, you know, oh, I got, only got 10 minutes before I got to run out the door. So we're slurping our coffee and we're, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to read our Bible at the same time. And we kind of wonder why we kind of get behind the eight ball all day long. We really need to sit down and, 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 and sup with him. We need to sit down and, you know, drink. You know, one of the temptations, honestly, I have is when I get down, you know, come down in the morning and uh, get my cup of tea and I, I sit in the living room with my Bible. You know what's a temptation? That phone. That phone. It beckons. It beckons. You know, there's all this mail in there. And, and you know, there's all these urgent messages in there. And it's like the tyranny of the urgent, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, you're just not going to be happy until you look at that thing. And then you look at that thing and you realize, oh, my goodness, a half an hour has gone by, you know. And that's the way it is. And uh, you have to be careful, you know, that we don't get our, 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 our time with the Lord, you know, ripped off or robbed. And it's like Satan's always in some kind of, some kind of a way trying to take advantage of us in some way. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. And again, he's speaking here, you know, to the disobedient life. And again, um, behold, my servant, servant shall sing for joy of heart, uh, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. Isn't it wonderful just to sing with joy? That's why I think sometimes, I, I notice sometimes, you know, when we have when we're here on our worship segment, you know, of our meeting, uh, sometimes I'll see folks come in and they're so burdened by the world they can't even sing. Can't even sing. It's like they're kind of bound up. And, and we, we need to worship. 
We need to worship. Worship's important. We're, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time in eternity worshiping. I think one of the first things we do after we get there and, you know, the wedding feast and all that, uh, I think heaven's going to be, uh, you know, uh, an incredible different, you know, experience for us. And that's why I think in a sense, you know, worship here is preparation for heaven. Uh, you, you know, when you look at the heavenly scene, what are the elders doing in Revelation 5? They're worshiping, they're casting their crowns. Um, and that's why it's important for us to take time and to focus on him, just to adore him. Well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for that. I, I get so many things. You don't know what I have to do in my life. You don't know my job. You don't know all these things. That's all the more reason why we need to worship. Remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well. He said to her, because she was, she was a gal that had been you know, married several times, living with a guy presently, and, and, and she tried to fill that void. She's trying to fill that void of intimacy you know, in her life. And it's interesting, you know, that she, she brings up the subject of worship. And Jesus says, he adds to that, he says, the Father is seeking such to worship him. That's what God is seeking. He's seeking to, because he knows that when we focus on him, that, that, that his life is going to radiate into us. I can remember as a new believer, because it was so new and fresh to me, that we would sit around in circles um, in the lotus position, position on the floor, not that it was an Eastern religion or anything, but, you know, we were just all young. We were in our 20s, you know, back in the, back in the 70s. And, uh, and I can remember we could just worship for like two or three hours. And, and it was so refreshing. It, it was so beautiful. And, uh, you know, we used, to call it, we used to call it, refer to it as being ghosted out, you know, holy ghosted out, you know, kind of a thing just because it was, so, it was so refreshing and so filling. And you know, you need to have those times. That's one of the reasons why we take a retreat. We take a retreat to get away from the TV, get away from the computer screens, get away from all that sort of thing. And, and again, one of the unfortunate things is it's, it's very hard for us to get away from the phone. Can you remember the, the days when the phone used to stay in the kitchen? Remember those days? When it was hung up on the wall or something like that, and, and, uh, and then you went through your messages when you got home or whatever the case may be. And for the most part, that phone was not so much a part of your life. You didn't even think about the phone, did you? But it's so hard to get away from it now, isn't it? Because it's not just a phone. It's a mini computer. It's a mini computer, and it's got all this stuff on it that just sort of beckons to us continually. But we need, what we really need is worship. We need to spend time with him. We'll give our time to something. We, we will fill ourselves up with something if we're not filling ourselves up with the Lord. So he says, or you shall leave, uh, or you shall leave your name, he says, as a curse to my chosen. And it's kind of interesting here. You know, when you think about God's people, you know, the, the Mosaic, can you imagine being in that Old Testament setting? The Mosaic law was an incredible standard to have to live up under. And, and the legalism about it. I mean, it was, you know, it, it had to be so difficult and so tough. And remember, uh, disobedience, uh, Deuteronomy 28, uh, what did it do? It brought a curse. There were the blessings of, of you know, the blessings of, of obedience in the covenant, and then there were the curses of disobedient, uh, or disobedience for God's people as they didn't, you know, seek the Lord in that particular kind of way. And so that's what had happened to them. Basically, their, their life degenerated into a curse. They're taken out of the land, 
you know, and God, you know, it wasn't that God was finished with him, but God had to take him to Babylon. It was a 70-year chastisement, really, what it was. And then to bring him back and to bring a whole new generation, perhaps, back and, and, um, and, and a new beginning. Uh, that's what I love about the Lord, though. It, there, there's always new opportunities. There's always new beginnings, you know, that we might look to him and, and get a fresh start, you know, in our situation. And, and that's the beautiful thing, even if our life sometimes, you know, uh, life can be a curse, can it? Uh, we forget, we forget people in the world, they're living under the curse, okay? I mean, America is a great place, but still outside of Christ, uh, the, the sword of Damocles is hanging over people's heads. And, um, and I think that's why people, that's why people do drink. That's why people do, you know, try to find relief in some kind of way, you know, in a relationship or whatever the case may be. But, um, the blessing is, is really, it's really with him, knowing him, walking with him, serving him. The Lord God will slay you, he says to them, and call his servants by another name. So here he's speaking, he's basically referring to us. Uh, we, we're, we just talked about that, didn't we, Sunday, that uh, the, the, um, the, the name given in, in Antioch to the Christians, it was, it was you know, or, or to the believers was they're Christians. And, um, and we, we, you know, when you think about this name that we have, what a privilege. What a privilege to identify, you know, with him, the blessing of knowing him. Now, this doesn't also mean that God has finished with his people. He's just telling them, he's reminding them that there's, there's other people, there's others that are going to worship me, there's others that are going to love me. Um, you know, I think sometimes maybe God's people of old thought that maybe they were doing him a favor, you know, by walking with him or by being by obedient or whatever the case may be. But the fact of the matter is, even in their worst condition, uh, that uh, he had a plan and he had a purpose. And, you know, the church has forgotten that from time to time. They have forgotten the fact that he has not finished with his people. Paul, Paul addresses that in the New Testament. And that has happened when you look at Christian history. People, have, and even today in evangelical circles, uh, probably not many, um, but in, in certain circles, um, um, there's the idea that we replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology. Um, you, you've probably heard the term. You may be familiar with the doctrine, whatever the case may be. But God is, God is not finished with his people. Um, I mean, you don't even have to read what Paul says. But Paul, you know, he takes this three-chapter slice right in the middle uh, of the book of Romans, 9, 10, 11, you know, speaking about Israel. But even if you didn't have that and just had the Old Testament, you, again, uh, you know, God clearly delineated the fact that he had a plan all the way through history for the Jewish people, even when they failed him, even when they miserably failed him. And look here for these last 2,000 years, um, Israel as a nation continues in unbelief. But look at Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 13 in Romans chapter 11. When Paul says this, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles... Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh uh, for the purpose of saving some of them. For if being cast away is the reconciling of the world, uh, and again, that's not, a, that's not a permanent casting away, that's, that's temporary. That's a temporary situation. Uh, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So here, Paul is clearly making that point. They will be accepted. They will be brought back into a place of blessing. For if the first fruit is holy, that's them, 
The lump is also holy, that's us, and, the root, and if the root is holy, so are the branches, we're the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. And again, interesting, you know, agricultural illustration here of grafting. Uh, if you have any fruit trees, if you have... Uh, I've always had fruit trees. Uh, it's interesting. What is interesting to me is every place we've ever lived, I planted fruit trees. And this is the first place I've ever lived where I actually got fruit back. Never stayed long enough in those places to get fruit. And as a matter of fact, uh, we, we planted uh, several trees in Farmington. And a couple years ago, we were riding through the neighborhood. And all of a sudden, the question came up, I wonder if our fruit trees are bearing fruit now, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And uh, so we rode by the house, and we're kind of looking in the backyard. But this is the first time in, in you know, almost 50 years of marriage. And, it, and what blew my mind this year was both our apple trees, and they're new plants. They're new plants. I thought they were standards, but they're obviously, they're dwarfs. And they're just, they're the fruit, they're just filled with fruit. Um, our, we even planted a, a pear tree last year. It's got two pears on it. <laughs> and our tomato plants. I mean, it's, we've got a tomato factory in our yard. And I was just saying to the Lord, Lord, I hope that, that this is in, indicative of something spiritual that's going to happen. <laughs> Uh, Lord, I'm hoping there's going to be a harvest. But again, getting back to the, to, the, to the fruit tree, if you've ever had a fruit tree, you can look at the, at the base of it. If it's, if it's a dwarf or a semi-dwarf, you can look where it's been grafted in. You've got two different kinds of barks. And it almost looks like a wound. It's sort of a slice where they, where, where they graft them together. They sort of, you know, they, they graft them together, they cut them, put them together, and they kind of put a bandage on them. And then they just basically begin to grow together. And that's how you get this overabundant fruit tree, and it's not a standard, it's not so high that you can get up into it. It's just rather low tree. That's why if you go by some of these vineyards up here in Ontario or up, up through Sodus and look at these short trees that are just over, they're overwhelmed, they're just filled, you know, with all kinds of fruit hanging off them. And so, again, the, the illustration, he says, we're this wild, we're this wild olive tree. And because of Christ, you know, we've been grafted in. Um, remember, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Uh, and, and he calls us, you know, he calls us to go forth and to bear fruit, to bear fruit, you know, in his name. And he says, you know, we bear different, different degrees of fruit, um, you know, maybe tenfold, maybe 30-fold, maybe 50-fold. I imagine guys like Billy Graham, um, Hunter Fold, okay, uh, as he's had the opportunity to preach to millions of people. Uh, Greg Laurie, Hunter Fold, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, his, his ministry. And whatever, whatever, uh, you know, whatever that measure is to be individually in your life. Not everybody's going to produce a Hunter Fold. Not everybody's going to produce 50-fold. But the, the, the fact is, you know, it's like I was so blessed. I own that pear tree. That pear tree belongs to me. And I was tickled pink to just see two pears. <laughs> just to see two, you know, two little pears hanging off that tree, you know, even though it's, you know, it's a relatively new tree. And I think, you know, as a Lord, you know, maybe look at, at, at our lives. Whatever degree of, of fruit bearing, you know, it pleases him. It, it honors him. Because there, there's, you know, there's, there's fruit to his account and fruit to his name. His honor, but it's also it's also in a sense it's a reward. Uh, we're rewarded 
um, you know, for the things that we do for Christ. Now, he goes on to say, <clears throat> he says uh, in verse uh, 18, do not boast against the branches. He's now he's speaking here to the church. You know, the, 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 you know, um, you know, branches, in a sense, don't boast against the, 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 the root and so forth. You know, I'm better than you. No, it's all part of one, you know, one, one piece. Um, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. He's speaking here about Israel. That's why we, uh, you know, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That, that's why we, we have a love in our heart, you know, for the Jewish people. Uh, that's why we care about what goes on you know, in that place. Uh, you will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Now he's speaking about someone who would say that in pride, you know, that, you know, you know they were unfaithful, but, you know, we're faithful. You know, we're the, we're the faithful church, you know, kind of a thing. Um, well said, but because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. <laughs> For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider, this is important, consider the goodness, but also the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. But here's what's very important. If you continue in his goodness. That, that's important, isn't it? Personal responsibility. That we continue, you know, in, in, in goodness and faithfulness and in righteousness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. It's only partial. It's partial. It's temporary. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I believe we live in this age. I believe we live, uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and I think very possibly that the last Gentile to come in is alive somewhere on the earth today. That's a pretty exciting thought, isn't it? I mean, he may go on in rebellion for another 50 years, we don't know. <laughs> but, there, but there's a, a fullness of, gen, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a, a place where the Gentile age is full. And that's where we believe the rapture is going to happen and, and take, take the church out. And that's a comforting thought. I'm so thankful for the, the hope, the hope of the rapture. It can happen at any time. I know there are some who like the idea of going halfway through the tribulation. And there's even some who 
um, feel that there'll be the resurrection, the rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation. Ooh, I forget his name. Uh, Chuck Messer used to call them post-toasties. <laughs> and uh, I guess they, they kind of will be if you have to go through the tribulation. But what comfort is it knowing you have to go through it? Where, where, where's the comfort in the rapture? To, to, and, and just, you know, really post-trib rapture doesn't make any sense to go up and to come right back down. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Because the rapture is a, is, a, is a deliverance. It's a deliverance from, you know, that, uh, that, that evil day, you know, that um, time of testing that's coming upon the earth that uh, uh, John writes in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, to, I think it's to the Church of Philadelphia. But anyway, he goes on to say, uh, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. In other words, that entire remnant, whoever that remnant is, and it will be a remnant. It will be. It will be a small group compared to how many Jews there has been in history. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is the covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, uh, back here to Isaiah. Yes, God has got a great plan, even though he will have servants um, by another name. And so that he, in verse 16, who blesses himself in the earth, shall bless himself, you know, in the God of truth. He who swears uh, in the earth will swear, shall swear by the God of truth. So, if we give a blessing or invoke a blessing or take an oath, we need to do it, you know, by truth. You know, people swear all the time and use God's name, uh, you know, to try to convince people of their honesty. And they're just, you know, basically, um, they're swearing. You know, they're, they're taking the Lord's name uh, in vain. And, um, and obviously God's people, some of God's people were doing that. Now he says in verses, uh, the end of 16, because the former troubles are forgotten, uh, because they are hidden uh, from my eyes. And he, again, he's speaking here, um, you know, relative to repentance. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. Isn't it amazing that God can forget? We can't. You know, sometimes, you know, when it comes to uh, issues of the past, it's hard maybe sometimes letting go of certain things. But God can forget them. And, and I've often said this. I think there are things in our life that we need divine forgetting. We need divine forgetting to let go of things. Uh, so they don't poison the well of our life presently. The one thing about our history, folks, one thing about it, you can't change it. Can't change it. Why camp on it? Why, why camp on it and rehash it? That, that to me, is the, the um, great mistake of, of psychiatry and psychology to be digging, digging up some dead thing. You know what happens when you dig up dead things? They stink. They stink. And it's important for us. You know, Paul tells us what in, in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward to the things that are before us. 
letting go, letting go of the past. All it's going to do is just poison your mind, uh, embitter you uh, about some circumstance, and and just, you know, by the grace of God, to to let it go, to give it to him. It keeps coming back, keep giving it. Keep keep releasing it to him. And again, I've I've had to do this in my life. You, You pray, Lord, I need divine forgetting. That, that's, a, that's an attribute of virtue of God, that he can forget things. And he's done that for us. Now, there may be somebody in your life that they will not let go of something, you know, maybe you said or you did. <laughs> kind of trying to hold you under it kind of a thing. But to just be able to just, you know, get beyond that and, and forget it and, and, and let it go. The, the fact is, when you live in the past, you'll never enjoy your present. You can't. You can't. You're controlled by it. You're, you, people are even defined by it. They're defined by their past. And that's sad. That, that, that's sad, especially sad. I understand it for the unbeliever. Especially sad for the child of God. To, to hang on to some scrap some negative thing of the past. And uh, listen, we all got baggage. We all got stuff behind us. Um, but you know what? To press on. To look forward. To have forgiveness. You know, sometimes I think people hold on to it because there, there's a vengeance there. There's unforgiveness and vengeance there. That shouldn't be us. It shouldn't be us. To, to let it go, to, to let God heal my heart, heal my mind, heal my spirit. Because somebody doesn't let go of it, you're saying God can't heal you. If you refuse to let go of it, you're saying God can't heal me. He can. He will. But we have to, we have to relinquish it. We have to turn it over. We have to give it to him. I was just talking to somebody the other day. We are talking about these kind of things. Talking about our past. And uh, my mother took her life. And uh, my sister died of of heroin, 46. My father basically died an alcoholic. (laughs) And we're talking about, you know, what we're talking about is who we expect to see in heaven. Quite frankly, I loved my mom. <laughs> I was thinking about my grandmom too. I really loved her. And I remember I was the one who found her when she was dead. She died of a heart attack and I found her. And, and there's, a, there's a number of people in, in that I loved and known that I don't expect them to be in heaven. but I'm not going to go to their gravestone and cry. I'm living for Jesus. I'm moving on. I don't want to miss what God has. <laughs> this was some situation, you know, in the past. Now look what he says here in verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. 
The word here is bara. It's a Hebrew word. And it means to create something out of nothing. See, God can do that. that that's the God we serve. He speaks something into existence. You know, Paul speaks about that over in Romans chapter 4 when he's speaking about Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac. And that, you know, basically it's impossible, earthly impossible, physically impossible for them to produce a child at their age. But here's what, interestingly, what Paul says uh, in verse 17 when he's speaking here about, you know, he's speaking here about Abraham and his and justification and so forth. And he says here uh, in verse 17, as is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. That is God spoke to him. He believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. See, that's a God we serve. See, there's nothing there. There's an impossibility there. And God just speaks into the situation. Remember the resurrection night? I think it's John chapter 20 with, with the disciples. You know, the disciples were not born again on Pentecost, okay? Do you understand that? They were not born again on Pentecost. Because on that night, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. They got baptized in the Spirit at Pentecost. They, they got equipped. They got empowered. And that's why we need to look to him no matter how impossible our situation is. He speaks things into existence that did not exist otherwise. See, that's, how, that's, the, that's the God we serve. And we need to remember that. Because so often we are limited and restricted by what we see, the emotions that we feel. Well, I don't feel that's going to happen. And that's the beauty of prayer. Prayer is the asking of God, and sometimes it's the asking of the miraculous. That's why I try to get people encouraged in prayer. I mean, prayer oftentimes is asking God to do some impossible thing that, that we can't do. To intervene in someone's life. To save somebody. To heal somebody. You know, to work in a particular circumstance and situation. That, that may be just beyond any kind of resolution or solution at all. That, see, that's the God we serve. He speaks things into existence that do not formally exist. That's why he said to Abraham and, and Sarah, boop, you're going to have a baby boy. Abraham, you're 100. Sarah's 90. And you talk about an 11th hour situation. And at the same time, too, God's saying, you're the father of many nations. That sounded so ludicrous. And again, Abraham's, you know, his name means father of a multitude. And I, and I always kind of think about that, you know, as, as Abraham, you know, came into the land, made relationships, had friends, and hey, what's your name? Abraham, what's that mean? Father of a multitude. Well, Abe, how many kids you got? Uh, none yet. None yet. Uh, how old are you? Well, I'm, I'm 80. <laughs> I mean, it seems so crazy.
be careful you don't let unbelief rob you. We live in a day of unbelief, man. We live in a day of unbelief, and you, you need to be very careful. You don't let unbelief and the devil just rip you off. He's a robber. He's a thief. Our God is good. He's a generous God. He's a giving God. He, I think he wants to answer prayer more for you and me than we want him to answer prayer. I'm convinced of that. He, he's ready. I was saying this to Margie coming in. I said, "Hon, you know what? I, th- I think there's a lot of people, you'll never see them in a prayer meeting. You'll never see them in a prayer meeting. And that's where the power is. That's where the power is. You know, psalm 2, Messianic Psalm. Father says to the Son, Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. <laughs> and you see, we've entered into that because of Christ. He, he's at, where, where is he right now? He's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession. When we pray, we can enter into his intercessions because that's what he's doing right now. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. That's what he's doing. And there's a lot of times we were asking him to do something that is virtually impossible. And yet, yet we find he does that. He calls those things which don't exist as though they did. Then they do. Bara, uh, behold, I create a, a, new, a new heavens and a new earth. That's why I love, I always love uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, um, you know, old things are passed away. All things, what? Become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us, you know, uh, who we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So you need, a, need something new in your life? You're a new creation. God's got new, wonderful things. Behold, I create a new heavens, new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Now in verse 18, he's looking forward to a better day. And, and, you know, I'm convinced that we are on the precipice of a new age. And it's not the new age the world's talking about, okay? You got all the new agers out there, and they're talking about a new age. And, you know, and they believe also, too, that they, that's why, you know, when you think about all the things that, that are sometimes implemented politically, um, they're, they're trying to create uh, heaven on earth. They're trying to create a new age. But I'll tell you what, um, before the new age comes, things are going to look pretty bad down here. Things are going to look real, real bad. I mean, if you, if you believe the book of Revelation, and you believe what's going to take place through the tribulation, the great tribulation, wow. This earth is going to be totally trashed. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't be, you know, uh, ecologically minded, okay? Conservationally minded, I am, I am. But the fact of the matter is, this world's going to be in pretty rough shape. 
And there's a new age that is coming. And what a glorious age that is going to be because Jesus Christ uh, is, is going to be on the throne. And he says here about this, Be glad and rejoice forever for what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, her people a joy. And again, this is that Jewish remnant that survives the tribulation. And they go into the millennial reign. Now remember, Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, when we were in Zechariah, uh, maybe about a year ago, uh, we saw that, that there's only going to be one-third, one-third of the Jewish people um, survive. Of all the Jews right now in Israel or in the world, one-third is going to survive. They're going to be, you know, and, and if... And, when you look at the beginning of chapter 13 of Zechariah, it gives us the time frame in that day. Remember we talked about that in prophetic studies? Anytime you hear, in that day, in that day, that's the day of the Lord. Anytime in, in uh, Zechariah 13, you have that reference three different times. In that day, in that day. That's always a future reference to the day of the Lord. But during that time frame, um, as, as we you know, enter into the day of the Lord through the tribulation period, um, and again, you, when you think about it, I think it was Chuck Mister used to say, that's a Jewish holocaust. That's, that's another Jewish holocaust. When you think about whatever the whole number is, how many million, only one-third surviving. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor, nor voice of crying, no more tears. There's only going to be joy wonderfully in that camp. And he gives us here in verse 20, he gives us a sample of what life will be, uh, what life will be like during the millennial period, the millennial, millennial reign, rather. Now he says here, no more there sh shall there be an infant that shall live but a few days. It's kind of interesting here. Um, uh, Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for a child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. Now, what's going to be different, probably, is the fact that when you look at, uh, these are pre-flood. These are pre-flood conditions. Um, pre-flood, you had a water canopy. Besides uh, the ozone layer, you had a water canopy. And that's why the description in Genesis, those first few chapters in Genesis, there's a mist that goes up. Uh, just sort of like a, if you ever had a terrarium, okay, the world had a, there was a terrarium kind of effect. There was a water canopy, and that was part of the water, no doubt, that came in and flooded the world at that particular time. Uh, but also, too, this water canopy, it kept out UV rays. That's why you have people living. You have Methuselah living 960 years, 69 years, rather. You have Adam, 930 years. People think that's, that's a fable. But it's the mere fact that the UV rays were not able to come through and, and, and accelerate, you know, that aging process and what it does, you know, basically to the human body. So here again, once again, we're going to have those conditions, you know, that, that, that sustain this millennial reign. An infant, um, no more shall an infant from there uh, but live but a few days. An old man uh, who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner shall be 100 years old and shall be accursed. So again, basically, when it says here, there will be, uh, 
the infants, in other words, there's going to be new babies. Um, there, will, there will be marriage and sexual uh, relations will continue. Okay? This is not, when, when you see here, um, this here, people confuse this with the eternal state. This is not the eternal state. Okay? This is the millennial reign. Now, you and I, during that period, will have glorified bodies. We'll have resurrected glorified bodies. But there will be human beings repop... The, the earth will need to be repopulated. Because when you read Revelation, you realize billions of people die. And so there will be human beings during that period. They'll be having babies. Um, and it says also, too, um, uh, in, in this verse here, that physical life will be extended to these pre-flood um, longevity. The other thing, too, and we see here, the third thing we see is, is physical death will still exist, okay? Any, that's not the case in the eternal state. Won't be, there'll be no more death. The Bible tells us that in Revelation. And then also the thing we see here uh, in verse 20, the end of verse 20, is people will continue to sin, okay? There's not going to be any sin in the eternal state. So again, we have to, we have to delineate that. We have to separate and divide that. Because, uh, again, where people re read these things sometimes, they think this is heaven. No, this is the millennial earth. Uh, they shall build houses and inhabit them. In other words, it's going to be domestic economic security during this particular period. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Um, again, another highlight that we find uh, um, in this particular period is the absence of war. There will not be war. As a matter of fact, is it, is, I think it's Micah. Micah chapter 4, I think it's verse 3, yeah, where he says this about this particular period. He says, that He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So uh, again, all the, when you think about, think about all the um, armament budgets of the world. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the space race is a race for, for basically control. Um, think about all the money I mean, everybody could have a beautiful home. <laughs> everybody could have a beautiful home um, and uh, be well off, again, if it wasn't for the whole sin factor that creates, you know, what is it, what's it say, uh, James chapter 4, I think it is. Uh, why are there, you know, wars and rubbers among you? You know, they come from your own members. It's, it's, the, it's the heart. It's the unregenerate heart uh, that creates, you know, that creates this war, this violence that we see in our world today. These things will not exist, you know, in that particular age. He goes on to say, My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall labor, or not labor, rather in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. In other words, you know, in that particular age, or, or in this age here, when you think about it, you, you work 50, 60 years, and by the time you retire, you never enjoy it. I was reading one time a statistic, which was really kind of fascinating and interesting, that within five years, you'd be surprised how many people after they retire die. Now, I know that there's a physical reason for that. 
probably disease is a, you know, one of the factors there. But I wonder if the other factor is no hope. That's one of the reasons why at my age I won't retire. I'd go crazy. No, 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 I'm sorry, sorry. Margie would go crazy <laughs> if I was home. <laughs> Every day she'd say, don't you have some place to go today? But isn't it sad that when you think about it, a person works their whole life and then they never really get a chance. That's his age. That's what this age is. And God's saying that age is not going to be like that. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. Uh, they shall, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord. Again, the moral underpinnings of that age are so different than this age. Because again, we got the Lord. He's ruling, he's reigning, you know, in Jerusalem. And, and you know, again, we're going to have these reference points. We're going to have these reference points of what this world was like. And we're going to see what it was like under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's like, and I don't know how much we're going to be able to interchange with people and have discussions with human beings. I imagine we can. I imagine we will be able to do that. Even though we're resurrected individuals. Um, and, and to maybe, you know, to, to, to sit down with folks and, and tell them as they're sitting there mesmerized looking at you and you're telling them about the old world and the wars and the disease and, the, and the, all the challenges, the, you know, all the things that, that took place as we know, you know, history. Maybe not just our generation, but we know history. Yeah, that's, that's what it was like. In all recorded history, it's only been like 265 years where there's no, been no war. I mean, think about that. that that's, that's pretty incredible. It shall come to pass, now notice this here. Again, this is the future relationship between the Lord and millennial believers. And there's going to be, you know, not everybody's going to be living in Jerusalem, okay? The world will be repopulated. But he's saying here there's going to be immediate answers to prayer. Look what God says. It shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Again, think about this. This is an incredible feature. What's happened is the curse is lifted off the earth. The, the curse today affects the animal kingdom. It affects everything. Everything. We don't realize how pervasive and far-reaching the curse has an impact on this entire world, every degree, every level. And when you think about it, here he's saying that the herbivores and the carnivores are going to just lay down together. Uh, imagine, a little, imagine a little child just walking up and giving a big tiger, you know, tiger hug around the neck, you know. And the cat just lifts his head up and licks the kid on the side of the head. And, you know, uh, it's just like a little domestic cat, but it's this giant cat. They're affected by the curse, the, 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 you know, the, 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 even the violence and the veracity there. <laughs> I'm going to play together. The dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. <laughs> well, when you think of look what man's sin has done. Look at the impact of it. Look how pervasive. It affects just everything. It so affects everything that we can't, it's hard for us when we read this to imagine. 
It's, it's hard for us to imagine what another world, what another... And that's why sometimes we're so earthbound. Although all the things that the Bible says about heaven, we don't even think about heaven. And we're sometimes so earthbound that even as a believer, that when it comes time to leave this life, we don't want to... I understand that to a degree. I understand it to a degree because it's all we ever know. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? There is, there is misery this side of heaven. There, there is depression. There is suffering. But a day is coming when those things will not be. That's why we sing about that, don't we? We sing about that glorious and wonderful time because we have the spirit of the true and the living God in our hearts and our lives. And he's pointing us to that. He, he's pointing us. That's why the Bible basically, and I'll use my own expression here, don't put all your eggs in the basket of this life. John said this world is passing away and the desire of it. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a glorious a glorious future plan. Help us, Lord, we pray, to live in the light of that. And yet at the same time, to endure, to, to hang in there, to not live in the difficulty and the pain of our past, but to live with you, to live in the present. Because we realize, Lord, as challenging, as difficult as this life is, Lord, with you, there are blessings. Lord, this world is truly, it's under a curse. But Lord, Lord we thank you. We thank you because you have, you've pulled us out of this world. You've given us life and life more abundantly. And so I pray, Father, as we go forth this week, Lord, help us, we pray, to look up. Help us, we pray, Lord, to keep our hand in your hand. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. And we'll give you thanks, we'll give you glory, we'll give you praise, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we rise?